Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining us for International News Review, Nicholas Fang, the Managing Director of Black Dot and Director of Security and Global Affairs at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs, and Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McClarty Associates. Uh, let's start off, gentlemen, uh, in this segment on U.S. politics. We've just had the ne- Nevada caucuses. Steve, uh, take us through the high-level results on that. What did we find today? Well, we found that Bernie Sanders is the front-runner for the Democratic nomination. He has now easily won Nevada, almost getting half the votes when you had, you know, five, six candidates on the ballot there. So now the question is, can anybody stop Bernie? Can the moderates come together and coalesce around one candidate as we head into South Carolina and then the big, big day of Super Tuesday? So that's the big question right now. Bernie is, you know, got got it going on right now, and it's still early, but he's clearly the front runner, and you have to admit that. Yeah, Nick Fang, uh, Joe Biden was second, uh, Pete Buttigieg third, Elizabeth Warren fourth, and and Biden was a close second, twenty well, 25 percent, half half of that, and Buttigieg further down. Biden seems to have gotten a bounce since his, uh, his underperformance uh, in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so, and I think that, you know, he was telling his team just before the results came out that he feels really, really good, so I don't know whether the, he was second, as you mentioned, but he was pretty far back pretty far back second. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was something that he was looking for, but definitely an improvement on of his showing, you know, over his showing in the in the other recent turnout. So um, I think it's interesting. We, we're just talking over the break about the, the impact of uh, the Bloomberg factor, you know, mm. seeing him coming on. Uh, when is he going to join them in a couple, uh, couple of weeks? Or right. Else? So Bloomberg's strategy has been that you, he sits out the first four races. So the first four were Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. Then we have South Carolina coming up in just about a week. Then Bloomberg comes in on Super Tuesday, and that's where his money really is going to make a difference. Buttigieg is essentially broke. Warren's essentially broke because they've spent all their money right in New Hampshire and Nevada and Iowa, and Bloomberg is sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to, to campaign in California and Texas. And so the big question now is, can he stop Bernie in those states when he is actually on the ballot. So, so that's what we're going to have to watch. So would your contention be that he just frankly doesn't care too much right now what's happened here in Nevada uh, and you know what's what's been going on most recently, Bloomberg that is, because he's just going to be able to come back and throw money at the problem? Well, that was his deliberate strategy. His deliberate strategy was, if you go back to March, so just about a year ago, he said, I have no chance in the Democratic primary. Right. Joe Biden is a front runner. I'm a Republican. I am not going to win, or a former Republican anyway. When he saw Sanders and Warren coming up, when he saw Biden falter, it was too late to make those plays in Iowa and uh, and New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. So he said, I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to pour it into the Super Tuesday states and beyond where I can saturate the airwaves, buy the staff, and really come in and get a plurality of delegates that I can ride all the way to the convention. Mm -hmm. And and Nick, uh, what's your your update or your thought on that? 
Well, I, I, I think one of the things, besides looking at the results, obviously, one of the things that I was quite interested to see was the uh, intelligence community's briefings. First of all, to the White House to say, you know, that Russia is trying to uh, intervene and help uh, Trump build up. Uh, but then also that warning, I think, a week ago to the Sanders team yeah. that Russia that they was were trying, trying to, to help, help them. him <laughs> as well. Uh, but if you think about that, it's, it's not that crazy a plan a strategy if it is true from the, on the Russian side because yeah. the, if the Russian aim is to divide American society, uh, to put in place candidates who are convinced both Sanders and Trump uh, agree on one thing, which is that America is overcommitted overseas. These are things that all would help Russia. Divided citizenship, uh, they're putting pressure on the government to, to do certain things. Candidates or potential president-elects who might want to withdraw uh, American involvement around the world. These are all things that Russia would appreciate. It's no surprise to hear that you know they're hedging their bets or even just trying to create more division in the run-up to the election itself. Yeah, well, with, no, uh, with, sorry, just uh, with Nicholas Fang, the managing director at Black Dot and director of security and global affairs at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs and Steve Oaken, senior advisor McClarty Associates. Steve, uh, carry on. Yeah, and so the Sanders campaign is in a way the mirror image of, of the Trump campaign. You have Trump who has drained the swamp, right? And it's got make America great again. You look at Sanders, you got the Bernie bros. They are just as committed to Bernie as the MAGA people are to Trump. Bernie, very anti-establishment. So he is all, they're both anti-swamp people in their way. And so to have a campaign between Sanders and Trump is going to be extraordinarily decisive, uh, divisive in the United States. It is going to bring out the worst in both sides, and Russia wins if that is what happens. So mm. Russia does want the most divisive candidates from each side, and they are willing to engage in it. And it is shocking in a way that the intelligence community would go to the Sanders campaign and say, Russia is trying to come in on your behalf, but not give that same notice to the Biden campaign or the Buttigieg campaign. Yeah. So what is it that the Trump intelligence community is doing now that he has his own people in charge of it? It really is a huge problem, Nick. And I think mm. you're right. It is better for those who wish to see the United States get tied up in knots. And it's going to be even worse this time yeah. than last time if it is a Sanders versus Trump campaign. Yeah, the, the camp from, on both the Trump and the Sanders sides show pretty, as you're alluding to, similar characteristics in the sense that they are very much about passion. They're very much mm. about their guy. Uh, not so much on the policy side, you know, in terms of the options, the positions of the candidates. Uh, this makes them targets for, for interference, influence, information operations, fake news, and all the kind of dirty tricks that have been used by states like Russia in the past. So uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see in a few weeks. It was interesting, you know, in 2016, after the election, we there were very, very strong calls by the intelligence community to tighten up the election process, tighten up the fake news, tighten up social media. And many, if not most of those calls, from what I remember, went unheeded by Congress, you know, to put to put more safeguards in place and to tighten up the system. And you're, you're exactly right. And the reason they went unheeded is because the Republican-controlled Senate did not want to say that the Russians influenced the election because that would have made, one, Trump look bad mm. and would have undercut all of Trump's arguments about the Russian hoax and the witch hunt. Now, no one knows whether or not the Russian influence in 2016 gave Trump the election. 
Lord knows Hillary did not run a great campaign. <laughs> when you don't go to Wisconsin at all as a Democrat, <laughs> take it for granted, that is malpractice as a campaign. So you're not saying that, that the Russia gave the election to Trump. Hillary did not run a great campaign from, from that strategic yeah. perspective. But the to have the Senate, the Republican Senate, not take up how to make our voting safer, how to make sure the states don't get hacked so mm-hmm. that we have faith in our election, so that come November 2020, if Trump loses and Trump says it was stolen from me, I'm not leaving the White House, we're going to be even worse off than yeah. we were going through impeachment. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Let's uh, let's uh, change tack slightly on this to one specific element of uh, this past week, which was um, at the Democratic debate, Bloomberg was pounded by Elizabeth Warren on his non-disclosure agreements with uh, women in his company. And he handled all of those questions, in my opinion, extremely poorly. Uh, it was as if he wasn't even expecting them to be asked at all, which, again, how could you not think that those would be asked? Uh, but in the last couple of days, he's come out and said he is willing to release, uh, in particular, three ladies from their NDAs with his company so that they would be free to talk about whatever you know uh, gripe they had against him. Uh, is this a good thing for him, or is it a thing that uh, could backfire in his face? Of course, we don't know what the ladies are going to say, uh, but uh, well, what do you think? The minute the debate ended, you know, I'm on this this chat of, yeah. of, of, of Democratic election people, and they immediately said, how quickly until Bloomberg releases those NDAs? He yeah. had no choice. Yeah. Now, he's releasing three. We don't know how many there are. There's a lot more than three. Why three? Why, why is he going to have to do more? What are these three going to say? So... That's not going to go away. What mm. we don't know is how much somebody like Sanders can attack him since Sanders isn't releasing his own medical records. So there's not a lot of transparency there. And there's certainly no transparency on the part of Trump. Can Bloomberg buy his way out of this? So can he use the three NDAs that he is going to release if the women take him up on it and buy his way out of it? it I don't think three is going to satisfy it. I think it's going to end up being more. Um, but we're still early on in this. It's a start, but it's it's not going to end with this, no question. Um, Nick Fang, he has also announced that his company will no longer require NDAs in these types of uh, harassment or whatever suits. Um, the combination of these two factors, releasing three and and this new policy across Bloomberg, uh, the Bloomberg network, does does that does that change this calculus at all? Well, actually, to answer your earlier question, the the one thing that surprised me about all this was that, exactly to your point, he didn't seem to be expecting yeah. these kind of questions. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it, as Steve was saying, seems to be a little bit retroactive, you know, being forced into a position where he did these things. Not to say that the Me Too movement should, should color every, you know, corporate decision or, or corporate move in, in the entire world. But you would want to uh, prepare and be aware that this could be a, a weakness for, for your candidate. I mean, his team should have you know, prepared that a little bit as well. And at least be, have an answer. Have something to say, maybe yeah. proactively say, oh, I've released them from NDAs already. Something that would look a little, play a little bit better rather than, oh, no, I've been caught you know, with the hand in the cookie jar and I have to do some remedial action. But I think that as we see, even just in terms of the mix of the candidates, the fact that you have you know, more women empowerment you have the, a stronger woman message flowing through politics and, and corporate sector. You hope that this is uh, is a positive change that is brought about by the Me Too movement and all these uh, all these issues. You know, I think if you look at uh, again, as Steve was saying, the transparency or lack thereof on certain aspects from each candidate, uh, you wonder: is there such a thing as a perfect? 
openly transparent, completely untarnished <laughs> candidate? Uh, can there ever be one, you know, in this, in this well, scenario? I'll tell you, where I do think Bloomberg is going to get better, you know, Mike Tyson, the, the, the heavyweight fighter, has a saying. He says, everybody has a game plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and Elizabeth Warren figuratively <laughs> punched Bloomberg in the face, yeah. and he did not respond R- repeatedly. well. Repeatedly. <laughs> He's going to get better at it. They're going to address it better. This was his, not to excuse his performance, but this was his first debate since 2009 when he ran for mayor of New York. He was up against people who've debated, debated, debated. They were ready for him. He was not ready for them. He better get better because if he doesn't get better at the next debate, and what's interesting is the next debate is on Tuesday. It's in a couple days, so he didn't have to wait that long to recover. He's uh, he's got to be better than he was um, in in Nevada, and then we'll see how the campaign moves forward. Because there is no perfect candidate but, out there. I mean, the guy's got sixty billion dollars. Why can't he set up his own debate stage and you know do a little bit of practice, right? Hire hire lookalikes, the best lookalikes possible for his uh, his it, opponents. It, I've been in those rooms, <laughs> at least certainly prepping for for congressional hearings yeah. that you knew were going to be contentious. And when your boss is in front of you or somebody who's paying you is in front of you, you hold back a bit. Yeah. And, and so I'm sure that they were not ready for somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who is a master at mm, this, mm. who was his her whole campaign was riding on doing well in Nevada. She may be done, but yeah. she gave it everything she had. It's hard to say he should have been better prepped for it. Because it's so hard to be ready for that. The, the tricky thing with dealing with guys who are powerful, successful, self-made is that they usually think they know better. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. in some cases, victim of his own own pride or own confidence, overconfidence. But I'm definitely, you know, looking as Steve was saying, to him getting better, to him pu- putting out a, a little bit more of a convincing challenge. And the next few weeks are going to be super interesting as we build up to Super Tuesday. And the last point on this is what's going to be really interesting is that they all teamed up on Bloomberg, who wasn't even on the ballot in Nevada. What happened? Sanders runs away with Nevada. They better not make that mistake again. They better not be going after Bloomberg because if they continue this circular firing squad of the moderates going after one another, (laughs) Biden is going to be done. Buttigieg is going to be done. Bloomberg is going to be done. Sanders is going to waltz in. And they have got to change strategy. So Bloomberg has to change and the moderates have to change to say Bloomberg's not the person we're after. It's Sanders. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well. All right. Steve Okun and Nicholas Fang, thanks so much for being with us yet again on Weekend Morning Ceremony FM. Good to be here. Good to see you guys. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.